Do you yeah, know the Stewarts? Uh, yes. Do you? Okay. Uh-huh. We do their yard. I just didn't know oh, if you know. Yeah, they're nice people. I need help badly with mine. I saw that. I didn't want to say anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's official, the hunting season has started. Weller 12 and Old Forester Verte has leaked its way into the Louisville market, and everyone's in a scurry and liquor stores are already gouging. I think the highest price I saw was $100 for Weller 12 and damn near $300 for Old Forester Birthday Bourbon. Just do everyone a favor and don't buy from these types of stores because it just encourages them. But anyway, thank you to all of our loyal Patreon listeners that are out there. Another month has gone by and we're looking forward to yet another giveaway. If you aren't supporting us yet, please consider it. It's just a few dollars a month, and you get some awesome stuff in return as well. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Bourbon Pursuit. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Welcome back to another episode of Burn Pursuit Podcast. Kenny and Ryan here today, and this is actually one interview today that I didn't have to do as much research for because there's always something that when we start, a, you know, bringing on a new guest, I always get on Google, I hop on there and uh, trying to figure out how do I ask the right questions, what are the questions that have already been asked, and don't want to put too much repetitive information out there. But this this time, you know, I've had a chance to meet with our guest today once before. And not only that, is he actually is from here in Louisville. Uh, pretty great story behind it. And I was already pretty well familiar with it. Ryan, how much do you know about our guest today? You know, I've, I know a little bit about Jefferson Reserve. I don't know much about Trey, but I just found out that we're neighbors. So I'm going to be popping in here like Kramer, you know, like, <laughs> uh, where's the bourbon? Uh, 
But no, I, you know, I know I've seen Jefferson. I've obviously consumed Jefferson's quite a bit. So I'm interested to hear Trey's story and, you know, and how he got involved in this industry and so forth. Well, good. So that's a good segue to introduce our guest. So today we have Trey Zoller. Trey is the founder and the master blender of Jefferson's bourbon. So Trey, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So before we get into this and before we start talking about Jefferson's, the brand, I guess let's give a little bit of history about you. Like how did you get into bourbon in itself? And I think this kind of is going to play a good part and a good kind of tie in with the history of your family as well. So feel free to be a little long winded here. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, When I started the company, which was back in 1997, I named it McLean and Kind Distillery. Both sides of my family, the McLeans and Kind had been in the bourbon industry for years. And uh, actually, we can trace my eighth-generation grandmother back to 1799, where she was arrested for moonshining and bootlegging. And uh, there's been a book called Whiskey and Women that have documented her as the first woman in American American whiskey history that's been documented. So it's kind of been a long line. And just growing up in Kentucky, you're just, you're immersed in bourbon and you don't even realize it. Um, as you went to my grandmother's house, she didn't ask you what you want to drink. She said, how do you take your bourbon? <laughs> Everything she cooked with was covered in bourbon. Um, as a kid, I didn't really you know, care for it, but I soon, yeah, there was a tipping point that it actually uh, started to mean something to me and I started to enjoy it. And then I moved out of town when I went to college and I moved to six or seven different cities and really couldn't find a lot of variety in bourbon. I couldn't find much um, in your older bourbons. So as I came back, I was privy to information that bourbon being in a 30-year decline had created almost an ocean of aged bourbon just sitting there, either evaporating off into nothing or being blended into a, a young bourbon where you would never see it. It would never be showcased. So I was naive enough or dumb enough to think that if I was able to capture some of this bourbon and bottle it up and take it out and, and introduce it to people, that there'd be a market for it. And in 1997, there wasn't much of a market for it whatsoever. Um, but I did, I had a great line that I that I fell in love with. And that's what we still use today for our base bourbon in our Jefferson and Jefferson's Reserve. And I say our base bourbon because what happened is I, once I started buying this older bourbon, I had a lot of distillers that would contact me and say, hey, we've got 400 barrels of a 17-year-old or 300 barrels of a 14-year-old. Are you interested in it? So I would sample it and get pricing, and there were some that I really loved. And they were great kind of esoteric lots, but not big enough lots to start a, a separate brand. So started playing around with these three or four different recipes of different ages, and I found that I could get more complexity and more balance by bringing them together. And that's what I started doing. Yeah, that's in, it's incredible to think that they had 400 barrels of 17-year-old just sitting around that they're trying to offload. There's no chance that happens today. I'm still buying some older bourbon really? right now. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to release another 20-year-old presidential select this year. So they're much, much fewer and far between. And, you know, I've been aging. You know, we bought bourbon the you know that's been aged for years. We have distillers uh, distilling our recipe, and we're distilling our own recipe now. So we've got a pretty good cross section of different recipes and different ages of bourbon sitting. Well, that's awesome. So before we dive into the bourbon, because I think we can take that into a whole different kind of uh, conversation, quickly talk about your dad a little bit, because I think your dad 
played a pretty big, big yeah, role in um, your influence into the bourbon history as well. Sure. He, my dad's eaten up with bourbon and the history of bourbon. Um, he wrote what I say is not the most uh, entertaining book in the world called Bourbon in Kentucky. It is really a historical reference. And he's been in every county and every courthouse in Kentucky, and he's identified over 2,500 distilleries, legal distilleries, prior to Prohibition. Um, Obviously, there were many, many, many more that didn't pay taxes. Uh, But he really just dug in and and got to know everything about distilleries, from who owned it, how it transferred from one owner to the next, how many bushels of corn they went through a year. Um, So it's just something that we used to talk about quite a bit. And um, Was it more of just like an infatuation that he had with it, or was he like really on like a mission to like— Solve some sort of problem. No, in, in the beginning, it was nothing more than, as you said, an infatuation with it. He's eaten up with the entire industry. He's really eaten up. Both he and my uncle are very big Kentucky historians. My uncle used to have the largest library on Kentucky history and would go around lecturing about it. So, you know, bourbon, what it meant to a community, a distillery to a community was huge, you know, from you know, har- you know, the lumber mills, harvesting the lumber, the transportation, the farmers, everything involved with it. It really was a catalyst for most communities in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great history, not only of Kentucky, but of all of the U.S. And um, it's interesting. And that's kind of what spurred me to do what I'm doing right now, which is reenacting um, why I think bourbon proliferated in Kentucky and why 98% of bourbon comes from Kentucky. And it was because of our waterways. It wasn't so much because of the limestone water or questionable climates, because when they started distilling west of the Appalachian in Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, they've all got limestone water. But we had the route to market. So that's why I'm taking two barrels. We're just about to land them in New Orleans. They've been on the water for 54 days, floating down the river system. I go to New Orleans next week, and I'm jumping on um, another boat. We're transferring it, and we're going to take it from New Orleans to Key West and then transfer it again on a sailboat, sail it up to New York. So we're going to find out what that bourbon tastes like when it left Kentucky and took that voyage around the Straits of Florida and into New York and why people up in you know where the population of the country is, why they demanded Kentucky bourbon, why they paid a lot more for it. Interesting. So yeah, I, and you can follow that on your website on YouTube or yeah, I think you I sure can. We've a got a little uh, snippet of it last night. Yeah, Jeffersonsjourney.com. Cool, cool. So I guess another question to even bring it back to the history behind here. Do you remember? You know, you said that you had to. You you you're traveling around different cities after college, and you couldn't find a lot of varieties in different bourbons. And you said, "Oh, well, maybe I can. I can, there's something here, right? I can I can build a new brand. I can do whatever." Do you remember that first phone call of who you called, or like what was the idea of like? Was it to your dad yeah. saying like, "What do you think?" Well, actually, what which spurred it more than anything, my dad um, and a couple of buddies went in and bought a 25-year-old barrel of Bushmills Irish whiskey. They bought it in 1993 for the equivalent of $17 a bottle. And of course, it wasn't going to be ready for seven years later. Um, so as it was aging, that's when we started talking about it. And he got this beautiful barrel that uh, you know, each bottle now, I think, sells for $250 a bottle. Um, but you know, we thought 25 year old Irish whiskey and it was really good stuff. 
there's we've got this stuff laying around in Kentucky all over the place. We can bring this out to market. And so we started calling some people around in the industry. And, you know, at the time, you know, bourbon's in a 30-year decline. People were happy to sell. You know, I'd heard stories of people writing off barrels, selling the barrels for the the uh, the price of the barrel alone and writing off all the liquid. So you could buy 20-year-old juice for the price of a used barrel. That's incredible. It is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why do you think, I guess back in the day, I guess they just, younger whiskey was a thing. I guess, why did they not embrace it back then? Well, because being in a in a decline like that, people started looking down their noses at Kentucky whiskey and Tennessee whiskeys. And so the distillers just started chopping price. And that, that happened for a number of reasons. It's kind of... Uh, you know, TV dinners were popular in the United States, McDonald's, and, you know, it, it was a processed food type. It was of, a race to the bottom. Yeah, it was and a race to the won. bottom. <laughs> exactly. And so quality, nobody cared about quality at the time. And, you know, it, it's really come full circle. And, you know, growing up in the 70s, you, know, you saw you know, what, what people ate back then compared to, you know, farm to table. The, right. It was an, a race the opposite way. And I think because of that, because the integrity and what goes into bourbon, it was lost on everybody. And, you know, that's why you saw vodkas and gins, things that take no time at all to produce, suddenly became popular. Right. And I think uh, well, I'm going to kind of shift gears again back to the brand itself this time. And we have a lot of our listeners that they go into a liquor store and they, they're they kind of perplexed when they look at a different bunch of bottles on the shelf. So when you're talking to somebody and maybe you're going to a, a restaurant and a bar and they're like, oh, we've got Trey's all our Jefferson's here. Like, what's your what's your Jefferson's pitch? Like, kind of kind of talk about the brand a little bit. You know, what we do is we try, there's six laws that define what bourbon is. So it makes it a very small category or a very narrow category. You can't do a lot to it. Um, but what you can do is take the processes and push it and add steps to it that can change the outcome of the, the finished flavoring. So what I try to do is push the boundaries of what bourbon is without bastardizing them. So we're not trying to cheat age whatsoever. Most all of the bourbon that I work with, almost everything is eight years and older. So you know when we're finishing with a, a Napa Cab barrel or an old rum barrel, take eight-year-old bourbon, and then I bring these barrels into Kentucky, and I put the bourbon into it, and I put it in my hot boxes and sweat out whatever was in there. So that's bringing some other flavors to it. So it's not all about distillation, aging it for a certain amount of time, and then changing the proof, which is what a lot of different distillers do. The difference between brands is just age and proof. We're trying to put different steps on top of all of those. So the we've got 14 different types of Jefferson's bourbon. And besides our presidential line, we do something different than just proofing it out and aging it. So it's just adding more steps. So we're tipping our hat to the tradition and heritage of bourbon, but we're trying to push it a little bit. So where does some of the ideas come from? They're the inspiration behind them because a lot of the bourbons, they're like, we don't mess with don't mess with something that's good, but mm-hmm. it seems like you or or Jefferson is very innovative and you know has a lot of crazy, not crazy, but just different experiments going on. Where where'd you get these ideas from? Do you have just like a notebook? And, you just no, I, I'll tell you. So first off, you and the reason I want to do something different, 
big distillers in Kentucky, they've been doing it for hundreds of years. They've really perfected the art and science of distillation. And they do a tremendous job of it. That's why I buy a ton of bourbon from them. I get a new fill that they make to my specifications and my recipe. We distill ourselves. I've got the distiller that I think knows more than just about anyone. He ran all five distilleries for Brown Foreman. He knows what he's doing. But, you know, I want to do something a little bit different. They've got that that down. Um, and most of them come kind of organically, like our Jefferson's Ocean. I was on a friend of mine's ship for my 40th birthday down in Costa Rica. We're fishing, surfing, and drinking a lot of bourbon, and I'm <laughs> watching the bourbon slosh back and forth in a bottle. And I thought, God, if it was happening in a barrel, what would that change this bourbon into? You know, it's in constant contact with the wood. It's sucking in the salt air, all that heat on it. So the first time I did it, I convinced um, a guy named Chris Fisher, who is the expedition leader for Osearch.com and catches, tags, and releases great white sharks, to bring five barrels of bourbon on a ship. And uh, which wasn't an easy task, seeing that he's got guys that are sticking their hands and bringing hooks out of great whites jaws. <laughs> they don't really need a lot of bourbon <laughs> right. on board. But he took it around for three and a half years. Somehow we lost two of the five barrels along the way. I think uh, the crew found their <laughs> yeah. way into the barrels, but that's some party and fishermen. <laughs> you got it exactly. Yeah. They go hand in hand. Um, but you know, it just changed the environment and the agitation of the maturation process so much. So I put Newfield bourbon on there, and three and a half years later, it came out darker than a 30-year-old bourbon. So now what we do is we take eight-year-old bourbon, we put it on ships, and we send it to 30 ports, hitting five continents, crossing the equator four times. And during that time, you know, it's it's a different environment. And the agitation, it's just, it's in constant motion. And it's sucking in that salt air. And, it, you know, when you get past the equator, it's caramelizing the sugars. So it gives a totally different finish. And I'm hoping that journey that we take, we're taking the two barrels, you know, down the rivers and around Key West and up to New York, I think it's going to taste a lot more like our Jefferson's Ocean than bourbon that's traditionally distilled and aged in Kentucky today, I guess. which I think is much different than it was 150 years ago when bourbon became popular. So talk a little bit about each of the individual journeys as well. Maybe not all of them because there's a lot of them by now, but right. I mean, uh, the difference between the first like two to three to four, like it, it was there a different kind of mash bill? You said one was new fill was. versus eight yeah. year. First was was a new fill bourbon. Second, you know, so we did five barrels at the volume of three after that. We tried to commercialize that and I couldn't put 150 barrels on my friend's ship. So we found a way to do that. So I took aged whiskey, eight year old bourbon, which I feel has really matured and it's not going to overpower the different finishes or different techniques that we put on. Um, and for the most part, they are very similar routes. Um, it's when they take off, uh, what time of year we're spending about equal time in the North Northern and Southern hemisphere. So in theory, it should balance out, but it doesn't. Um, we just had uh, Voyage 8 come back that spent a couple weeks in the Atlantic when Hurricane Joaquin was in, in the Atlantic. So you know, we're able to get data daily, you know, what relative sea conditions, rough, moderate, or calm, average sea temperatures. So you know, for two weeks, it was bounced around out there like crazy. And because of it, we lost a ton, 
to uh, Angel Share. Um, you know, literally, we were getting about the yeah, volume. Get those staves tight, I bet. On the well, it didn't. It what happened? It just it was so hot, just rocking around so gotcha. much that we lost so much. But what that did is really condensed the whiskey, and the whiskey brought in so much of the salt air that it made it a very briny expression. So. That one was a little bit different. Um, we have a different uh, mash bill in what we did in Voyage 2 than what we did in Voyage 3 and 4, and still a little bit different one in Voyage 4, you know, from 4 on. So, you know, there's little nuances in each voyage, but it's the journey and what's happening with global weather, weather patterns. So, right. um, you know, Sometimes we've got very calm seas. Sometimes we've got very rough seas. Sometimes the rough seas happen when it's very hot, sometimes when it's very cold. And so, you know, the porousness of the barrel changes due to that temperature. So that changes kind of what's coming out of it. Right. So this is this is kind of a marketing question for you. So why is it called mm-hmm. Jefferson's and not Zoller's Reserve? Well, when I started, um, I was in my 20s and had no gray hair and you know everything at the time was all about tradition and heritage and i wanted to kind of put a face to what i thought that was in the product and i thought the jefferson's reserve was very sophisticated very complex and who epitomized that more than anybody thomas jefferson if you're anything like me then you can't get enough about bourbon And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. You can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So this is uh, this kind of shifts gears again, I guess, a little bit to what's happening today. And you've been you've been an open book for for the most part. You you know you don't really hide anything. You everybody knows that you've been a non distilling producer since '97. But that's starting to change a little bit now that you've got a little bit of distillation that's going to be happening in the Crestwood area. Mm-hmm. So kind of talk about the state of the current operations. 
So we've been distilling at Crestwood at Kentucky Artisan Distillery for about two years. Um, we're an owner in it, and we take about 80% of the distillation that comes out of there. We're going to lay down approximately 8,000 new fill barrels this year, 1,500 of which will come from Kentucky Artisan Distillery. Um it still costs me more money to make it at our own place than I can buy it from. <laughs> and even it seems with, like it works out right then, right? Uh, yeah. It's economies of st- scale. Yeah. yeah. And so what it really does is it allows me to do more experiments there. And it's a great home and it, it gives me a lot of tools with the wealth of knowledge that our distillers have out there. Um, and it, even though we've got four stills, including the original Old Forester still and the early time, the original early time still, and Steve Thompson, who's got all this knowledge, just because of that, you know, that volume that we're on such the small scale, we can't do it as consistently as the big guys do. So there is a lot of benefits to having your own uh, facility. But if I have somebody making it for me to my specifications, I think that's just as important. So it's good. And again, having that variety, because at the end of the day, Jefferson and Jefferson's Reserve, our core brands, it's all a blending exercise. And I guess, how did you get to that idea of we're going to make this a, a blending product, right? Because I think that's that's a good question, because a lot of people are moving towards the single barrel route or uh, mm-hmm. very small batch. But you you didn't want to say, like, I don't want to do very small batches. You're, you're really like They're kind of ridiculously like, small batch. Yeah. Well, well, we, we do a lot of different we, kinds of We take of, yeah, you know, different kinds a small of amount of barrels and put it together. Yeah. And so it is a ridiculously small batch. Well, that was on their website. <laughs> <laughs> and we do do uh, single barrels, but... Um, I, again, it was from the opportunity to buy these small esoteric lots and then just playing around with them. When you have one product that's distilled or one recipe that's distilled, you're going to have one dominant flavor that comes out somewhere in the process, either up front, mid palate, or the finish. And by blending, you can pack in flavors throughout the tasting experience and you can make it more balanced. And it's still the hardest part of my job. The other products that we have, it's processes and procedures. Once you get it figured out that you replicate the blending aspect, that's based on, you know, taste buds. So we blend four products together. I have a base bourbon that comprises about 55 of the total percent. The other three bourbons comprise approximately 45%. And that's ever changing. And, you know, that's still, that's trial and error, and it's just, you know, going in and tasting and no more than that, which is more fun, too. Right? Yeah, a fun story about blending. I, I guess I did my own private barrel pick for a buddy of mine owns a liquor store, and we really liked this barrel. And then at the end, we put all, the guy was dumping them out, put them all in one glass, and then we tried the the tin that they dumped together. And we're like, well, this is the one we want. Right. You know, yeah. they were like, can we get this one? They're like, no, it doesn't work. That, but but that's, that's a great, you know, example of it, you know, by bringing these different ones in together and they may have been from the re- same recipe, but you're able to get balanced that way. Yeah. And you got to tweak it one way or the other. You know, do you want it all up front? Do you want certain characteristics? So I've got a specific style that I try to hit. And each batch is going to be a little bit different because it's ever changing, but it's still the same style. 
I guess a, a good question would be because a lot of the, the connoisseurs of bourbon out there, you know, they're infatuated with the presidential line itself, right? And you've already hinted it and said a 20-year is going to be coming out. Uh, we were actually talking before we started recording. Ryan had an 18-year that he demolished a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what I had. I've was, got a, but it was great. It was I've got excellent. a 21-year still sealed in my basement. And now that's become a line that's impossible to find kind of anywhere you go around the country. And was there just a point where you put everything out there and you just said, well, we're not going to buy anything for a little bit and kind of see what we have. Maybe we had too much stock out there. And then all of a sudden it's now depleted. So what was the, uh, I guess the forecasting that, that kind of didn't happen right there? Well, um, it's always been a one-off product. So the 17 and 18 year old that you referred to, that was one that was, uh, you know, I bought 400 barrels of uh, product distilled, a weeded product distilled at Stitzelweller that um, supposedly that was the last of what was distilled at Stitzelweller. So we knew when that was gone, it was gone. That's not going to be replicated. Um, the 21, 25, and 30-year-old bourbon that we put out in the 25 and 30, or excuse me, 21 and 25-year-old rye that we released, that was from a separate buy that we bought from a different distiller that, you know, there's only so much of that 30-year-old you know, bourbon right. that There's shouldn't, much left in that shouldn't be there. Yeah. yeah. By definition, it should be a, it should have evaporated off. But um, so we know those are limited releases, and we've got some product in, in the back end. We were hoping to put um, another one out between the last one and this one, but we ended up using a lot of that product for our Jefferson's Reserve. So, you know, it's it's – We've got it forecasted out, but um, due to demand, sometimes that changes. Absolutely. I can see that happening. And I guess I kind of want to – oh, another one I didn't even think about is something that uh, you don't even see on the shelves anymore. The Jefferson's Rye, right? I mean, that used to mm -hmm. be pretty prolific. And then now, again, it's gone across the country. And it's gone. And un it's unfortunate. I really like that. That was the other product that we did nothing with other than cut it down to proof and at a certain age release it. Um, unfortunately, we've got a pretty strong uh, supply of bourbon sitting, you know, bourbon barrels inventory sitting across the, the state. Our rye business, we were buying containers at a time and had a contract that we thought was going to be going on for some time. And unfortunately, it was just cut off all at once. <laughs> so lesson learned. That's yeah, a lot why of people we, got in the rye business here <laughs> yeah. recently. Well, my dad was telling me to get in the rye business for 10 years prior to that. And I was, dad, anybody that drinks rye has one foot in the grave and the other one's... <laughs> So it shows how much I know. But. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I want to kind of touch back on the experiments a little bit because, mm -hmm. you know, the Jefferson's Wood experiment is the latest one that kind of came out. Uh, we had Ed Lee on the show. So we talked about the chef collaboration. You've got the Groth cask, the Oceans. Uh, I don't know what other ones I might be missing, but what are the kind of ones do you think are on the horizon here that maybe you can talk about? Well, we're just about to release a rum finish. So we take eight-year-old bourbon. And uh, we brought barrels that held bourbon for four years, old rum for 16 years, um, brought them back into Kentucky and put bourbon in them. And they've been aging for the last 16 months. Which rum? Uh, Gosling's old rum, old okay. family rum. Cool. And uh, so it, it's actually delicious. And you were asking, how do these ideas come up? I was at a hotel with Malcolm Gosling's. We're in a suite with a bunch of distributors. And he's got a bottle of his old family reserve, and I had a bottle of Jefferson's reserve, and 
poured them together. Or actually what happened first is I had a glass of his old rum and I really enjoyed it. One glass of rum is enough for me. It's very sweet. So I poured them together and I was like, wow, this is incredible. Malcolm, you got to try this. It's like, Oh man, that's good, mate. And I was like, <laughs> "Do you have some of those old barrels?" So, ended up shipping me the barrels. Actually, he shipped me a couple hundred, and about forty percent of them, because of their age, just by the time they got here, we couldn't. They were unusable. But we've had them laying down, as I said, for sixteen months, and it's just so well rounded. Great, great product. Well, awesome. That's that's good to hear because I think that's one of the things that. Uh, tends to lead you all in a, a different direction is that you do have a lot of these experiments that come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you just need to travel, and every time you go on vacation, you come up with a new, uh, well, a new it's idea. A of, it's so it, a lot of it is. It's it's a vis- uh, vision quest. I think that's is what right. They call it right. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's good way to write those trips into, off. Uh, <laughs> turned into collaborations, and I didn't really realize it. Um, but as I said, with Chris Fisher and the ocean, that was kind of a collaboration, although it didn't seem like a collaboration, uh, with Ed Lee, that was obviously a collaboration. We were out with some other friends drinking, uh, bourbon and then went to his restaurant. A friend of mine brought some wine and he said, what kind of food should we pair with the wine? And I said, well, I'm going to continue drinking bourbon. What should I, what type of food should we pair with the bourbon? So that conversation started. Um, we... From there, he asked me to do a pairing for his book launch, and I I met the editor-in-chief of Esquire magazine, and one of the products I brought was a five-liter barrel of uh, aged Manhattans, and he loved that, and he's like, we ended up taking that out on a little pub crawl. He called me the next day and said, Trey, we should work on a cocktail together. So it's things that just kind of evolve as... um, Yeah, they're not not really forced, they're just come up and they have And most of it's having a few drinks <laughs> right. and, and just talking to people from a different industry. I guess with that though, you know, these are experiments at the end of the day. Absolutely. Do you consider some failed versus some successes? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So the wood experiments, for instance, and that again was a collaboration. Although I didn't really realize it at the time. I was at a cooperage in Missouri and I've been to cooperages in Kentucky all my life and they make bourbon barrels. But the cooperage in uh in Missouri is one of 20 owned by independent staves. And this is, that's their original. And they make barrels there for people all over the world, be it wine or spirits. And I became a barrel chef for a day where I followed a computer screen graph where I had to keep it at certain time and temperature you know, by throwing kindling on or spraying it with water. And by doing that, different flavors would come out. And so I sat down with some of their scientists and talked to them about how they, they're changing and how, what they're doing with other products. So we ended up taking 13 different types of barrels, whether that's new bourbon barrels or new wine barrels or new bourbon barrels with wine heads, with staves that have been charred or, uh, or seared or slow cooked to get these different mocha or butterscotch flavors. There was four different variables we put together over 13 uh, experiments. And so we tried them over 36 months. I'd try them every month. And some of them peaked very early and then just turned. And so some of them were great and some of them turned, didn't turn out that well. Um, I've got some barrels right now that uh, held something for 75 years. And after two days in the barrels, it would blow your head off. Um, but by diluting it down, we've figured out a way that it tastes wonderful. 
So these are things that we're working on. So some of them work, some some don't. <laughs> I guess it's one of those things you just kind of take the losses when it comes, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just part of it. You know, I, actually, somebody was asking me today, why are you only sending two barrels on this trip around, you know, kind of around the U.S. and at the end of the day, it's a reenactment. Will we do something with it later to commercialize it? I don't know that. But, you know, are these two barrels? Is you know, I think it's going to really change the outcome in a very short time of it. You know, it's, you ask the captain that took it down to New Orleans and sat 54 days baking in that hot sun <laughs> and just getting pelted by storms, and those barrels are, you know, completely exposed to the elements, they're going to change, but... Right. No need to waste a hundred barrels on you know just just to <laughs> yeah let's see what happens with two of them then yeah. go from there right uh, I think also another kind of interesting thing is that you also started releasing the Jefferson's Ocean's cask strength right mm-hmm. where you're going for a barrel proof offering do you see a trend in the market where people are starting to ask for that a little bit more absolutely and that's kind of what was the, yeah. the factor and we're going to do some more of that even though that's not my favorite style mm-hmm. um, some people absolutely love it talk about your favorite style then. Well, I don't high-proof bourbons to me. I, I don't enjoy them as much. There's, true, there's a lot of flavor that comes out initially, but there's a lot of flavor that's masked, and I like the real secondary flavors are really important to me. That's where you, you can really get in and, and really discover things about a bourbon. And at that higher proof, I just can't pick those up. So to me, I like a little bit softer style. Um, we utilize barrels with a number one charm. Sometimes, and so that doesn't allow the bourbon to get as deep into the wood, but it allows secondary flavors to come out that would be masked by a heavier char. So that's something that that I enjoy. So I like a lot of different flavors. Um, do I like some that are just you know a lot of rye and you know big on caramel? Yeah, but I like variety as well. <laughs> so what's life for Trey outside of bourbon? Right. It sounds, it sounds like it's a lot of sailing, some trips, some vision quests. So what, what, um, else, what else does Trey enjoy? Well, uh, anything on the water. I love, love being on the water. And uh, right now I play polo. So this summer that's, yeah, it's been, that takes a lot, a lot of time. So that's something I've gotten more and more into. And Water or on a horse? On a horse. Gotcha. So it. The more horses you get, the more time it takes, and the more you got to work with them. But growing up in Kentucky, I didn't know much about horses until recently, and I've you know, just totally been enamored by them. And the sport's like crack. So the more you play it, the more you want to play. So those are two of my big interests. So are you getting into thoroughbred racing a little bit? Are you buying horses no, to get into no, it? No, no. Not going to sink that money in? No. I know I know zero about thoroughbred racing. <laughs> and when I go to the track, I enjoy it. But It proves it. <laughs> it does for me. I, I don't make any money. Yeah. <laughs> if I break even, that's a big, big win for me. For sure. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> well, good. well, just want to say thank you again for coming on the show today. I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy this. Uh, it was great to learn yet about another brand, uh, especially one that a lot of people go in and you see it on the shelves and you just want to know more about it and the the man that, that is behind the label, right? So just well, thank great. you again. You got it. Thanks a lot for coming. I appreciate it. Now that we're neighbors, we're going to have to work out a deal. I on know. It. I'm going to stumble over here and just be like, <laughs> what's right. going on? You know, we got working. You got what, it. I'll, I'll catch you after vacation, you know, so we get 
some, you know, something new. You got it. Cool. We need, we need taste buds. Absolutely. I'm here. <laughs> All right. But yeah, thanks for taking the time. I know you're you a busy man and uh, it's always awesome just to, you know, dig into your all's brains and figure out why you all do things. Why did you get into this? Cause it's a cool industry and I grew up around it and I, I appreciate, you know, everything that's involved with it. So if you like what you hear, yeah, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and like us on Facebook. We put all our new episodes that are out there. All our episodes have just now also started being published to YouTube. So yet another place that you can find them. And also, if you do like the show, support us on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Burn Pursuit. Yep. And if you have show suggestions, feedback, comments, we love them. And uh, we'll, we'll take them to heart. So we'll see you next time.